Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all this morning and to be here to preach the word. And um, before I get into the word, though, I do want to mention our Connect Convergence that is coming up. It is for our Connect leaders and our Connect coaches. It is, I want to say, highly recommended, which is basically required for all of our Connect leaders. We um, don't, we try not to, you know, block up your calendar with a lot of stuff. But twice a year, we have these breakfast and impartation for all of our connect leaders so please make sure that you RSVP for that if you are a connect leader okay we're diving into the word this morning this morning's sermon is not part of any series it's a standalone sermon it is um, in fact my last time preaching at every nation rosebank for those of you who don't know I am going to do my masters in international relations in Switzerland so I've got a few weeks left here in Rosebank and so this is my opportunity to share a word with you that is on my heart something that I really want to impart and it's an opportunity for me to kind of have an, a standalone sermon that I can do that in so this morning my swan song to you is this to be a part of the body of Christ that's what I want to speak about today um, but I'm going to begin with a story. If you have ever heard me preach, you would have heard me talk about my three closest friends. These friends of mine and I, we tend to do crazy things together. It doesn't always work out well, but you know, we like to live on the edge. We're sort of close to the edge. We're not quite on the edge, but you know. Um, and at the beginning of the year, we started off the year by, on the 5th of January, we booked a day where we went whitewater rafting and paintballing in Paris. And the day was a little more traumatic than we had thought it was going to be. Um, whitewater rafting, I don't know if you've ever done it before, but it, it's quite exhilarating. I mean, it kind of started out awkwardly in the sense that you're going down the river, you stop halfway and you're like, you can have something to eat. And so we became those awkward kids that had like packed lunches and all the other kids had tuck shop money because we thought that we were now having lunch, but we weren't supposed to be having lunch. So we were like there pulling out our sandwiches or whatever. It was a little awkward. Everyone was waiting for us. But anyway, after that, we're going down the river and like you get to the um, biggest rapid, which they call Big Daddy. And you go down it. I mean, the temptation to freeze in that moment is quite high because there's a whole lot happening around you and they tell you, don't freeze, you have to keep pedaling. So I'm, there's two people per raft. So I'm in a, a raft with my friend Sipe, and behind us were Toby and Precious. And so Sipe and I go down, I'm like, don't freeze! And so she's like paddling frantically because I don't want to die. And then we get, the current takes you a little bit further, so then we're waiting there for the others. We're in like a group of like 20 people. And then I hear the screaming and this guy shouting, lie on your back, lie on your back, which is what they tell you to do if you fall out of the raft. So, and I know it's my friends. I know that it's my friends that have fallen out of the boat. Not only were they like three of five black people in the group, but I just knew in my heart that it was them. So, what happened was the boat capsized while they were going down the rapids. Precious got dragged on some rocks. She got quite bruised. Toby got, she was trying to come up out of the water. She got stuck underneath the raft. She's Probably never going to go whitewater rafting again. Um, but they were fine. My maternal instinct kicked in. I really wanted to get back to see if they were okay, but you can't swim. I mean, row into that current. It's just too strong. So I just had to survive. But you know what? That is actually not... The whitewater rafting was not the most traumatic part of the day, believe it or not. After whitewater rafting, we had looked painfully. It should probably have been an indication to me that when we were the only four who were also doing the paintballing, 
that this is not a good idea to do these two things on the same day. Um, so we waited forever for this guy. He takes us to go paintballing, which is basically taking us to like his backyard where there's like five trees. And we now are supposed to play capture the flag. So he puts the flag there, the game starts, we start shooting. <laughs> People are very upset. It's very painful. So nobody's going for that flag. Everybody is like staying very far away. Nobody wants to get shot. Somebody, I won't say who got nervous, starts shooting somebody else close range. Everybody is upset. The game was going to take forever because nobody was going to capture that flag. Everyone was just staying as far away from each other as they could. And I eventually ran to get the flag just to end the game. We still had half of our paintballs left and we just refused. The guy was like, let's play another game. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we would rather shoot bottles than play this. And so we did that. We played target practice with paintballs for the rest of the day. This is the face of trauma on the way from the paintballing. You can see we're in the ugliest overalls that you've ever seen in your life. And the level of trauma was so high that a month ago, I was talking about the story with Toby and Precious, and Toby's like, I still have a bruise on my leg. We did this in January, on the 5th of January. And then Precious was like, I also still have a bruise on my leg. And they start comparing their bruises and talking about how never again will we go paintballing. Because everybody has their things in life. This is just not our thing. But I bring up the story because of this. When it comes to being part of the body of Christ and being part of the church, many of us have previous experiences that were hurtful. And just like my friends and I, we have made this vow that I'm never again going to open my heart up to those church people. Because I've come to church and it's been clicky and judgmental and I, I, I struggle to fit in. And so when I come, even if I'm here, I'm not really investing in any of these relationships. I already have other people in my life. And so I'm not going to actually open my heart to the body. And I bring up this idea of hurt because of the fact that I believe that us being a part of the body of Christ is God's intrinsic design for people and his creation. That he's always built us to be in relationship. And so it's not something that we should take lightly. It's not something that we should allow past hurt to withhold us from doing. And so my prayer is that as we speak about what it means to be part of the body of Christ this morning, that God would heal and convict those parts of our hearts where we have made inner vows against his will for us. And that he would also renew the grace towards us in this area so we have a fresh grace to be in relationship and be in life-giving, open, transparent relationships with those in the body. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness towards us, Lord, that we got to celebrate today. I thank you, Father, that you placing us in this body is not by accident, that you have put us here and put people around us because you know exactly what you want to do in this space. And Lord, we do take a moment right now to bring our hearts before you, to open up those areas where there have been disappointments and painful experiences that have changed how we view your body and have caused us to put walls up to people around us. We choose right now, Lord God, to open us up to you and we ask for your grace to fill us. You would ask for your presence to heal us. We ask that you would do what you do and transform us, Lord God, and knit us into a body that, that is united, that is healthy, that is full of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Our course scripture for today is Romans 12, 
It's a very famous chapter in the Bible. It begins with, in light of all of God's mercy, may we live as sacrifices unto him to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed through the renewal of your mind. And then it speaks about the importance of being part of his body, which is key in being transformed in the renewal of your mind and not being conformed to the world. So verse 4, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. From the scripture, the three things I want to highlight is that we have been made to be one body and that that body needs to learn to love genuinely. And within that, as we stay in these relationships, to be fervent in spirit. Those are my three points that we're going to be discussing today. So, being one body. The scripture says there that we are made one body and that we are members of one another because of the fact that we are one body. That God putting us in one body it means that we're joined in a very deep way, that your movements will affect me and my movements will affect you and you will feel my movements and we need to be aware of one another if we're going to align and move forward together. That's what it means to be one body. And the thing is that from the very beginning, God has built communities. That's what he does. He exists in community within himself and has reproduced that in us, that we are born into families, we're created to be in community, that it's not just something that happens in the church, you've always meant to exist in community. That English was a bit weird, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you're always meant to exist in community. And you will be part of an eternal community. And your privilege here on earth is learning what it means to be in community and be part of that body in that community. And it's the, the scriptures, Psalm 133, which speaks about the anointing that comes when we exist in unity. Acts 4, the early church, how they had things in common, they have one heart and mind, and the power that flowed in that place. It demonstrates this principle that how God exists and dwells in a united community is different to how he will manifest in your individual experience. God's power is present when we're in a united community in a different way to what it is when you interact with them individually. That there is an anointing from unity that we need to be pursuing. And because he creates us to exist in community, because it's always been his will for us, we need to be aligning to that will and existing in community. We need to be pursuing unity because of what happens when we are united, because of the presence of God that is there. There's, it's no chance that the Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost was amongst 120 believers of one heart and mind because of how God flows, how his power flows in community. And the next revival is not going to happen in your bedroom. It's going to happen in the context of community, of believers gathered together because of the power of God and the anointing that flows in this place, in a united community. Amen. And so it's worth us pursuing. It's it's not easy being in community, it's, it's more challenging, right? Galatians 6 speaks about how we are carrying our own burdens, but we will also be called to carry one another's burdens. 
And you will feel my burdens when you're in community with me. And I will feel yours. You can't avoid that. If you're not feeling them, then you're not really in the community. That, that's a part of what it means to be in community. But it also says in Galatians 6, to not grow weary in doing good for what you sow in time you will reap. That we, we don't give up on being in community even though we feel the burden because of this. Because of how God manifests here. Because of the fact that His plan and His purpose is here. And so we, we take on all that community is. The burden, the power, the anointing, the joy, the oneness. All of that we need to be diving into and walking into. God has built you to exist in one body. Amen. Amen. Come on. The truth is that Jesus is the head of the body. And that's really important to know. Because the head of the body directs the movement of the rest of the body. So when it comes to us being one body, you know, we there's a space of if I know where what you're doing and I'm trying to move forward with you, I may have to pause and speed up or slow down to align with you. And when all of us are coming together, if Jesus is not the head, then we're all trying to find that space of will you follow me or will I follow you, right? But Jesus being the head is really important because how we are joined into one body is by following Jesus. He is the head. And if we follow him, then that's when he will say, speed up, slow down, pick this up, lay that down. And that's how I will know what to do. It's not about me just following you or you following me, but us both following Jesus. That's how we're joined into one body, following after the head. That's what directs the movement of this body, is Jesus Christ. And so if you're not following after Jesus, then you will feel outside of the body. If you're not listening to what his direction is in this moment, then you will struggle to feel part of the body because he is directing the body. But it does also mean that I can trust being a part of the body because it's not about somebody else leading it. It's not about me trusting in mankind. As I trust in Jesus and follow after him, that's how I can follow the body. That's how I can, not follow, be a part of the body, feel safe to join the body because I'm not trusting in a person and their integrity I'm trusting in Jesus Christ and I follow after him 1 Corinthians 12 also describes us as a body and it says that we all drink of the same spirit we have been given one spirit to drink of so when I'm being filled with the spirit that same spirit is what you are being filled with it's part of us being one body is that we're filled with the same substance this is why I have Coke here. It's not because I'm really unhealthy and I don't drink water anymore. If I open this Coke and the substance that I get out of it will be Coke, right? And if I open this one, it should be the same substance as this one. And if I open this one, it should be the same substance as the other two. And my experience of consistently opening them and getting the same thing out of them, it causes me to trust that when I see this bottle, I know what's going to be inside it. Because over and over again, I experience the same thing. And the world is meant to have that experience with believers. That when they open you, they experience the Holy Spirit. And it's the same experience that they get when they open another believer. And over and over again, that consistent experience should communicate to them, I can trust that in that body is the Spirit of God. Because over and over again, I get the same experience. not often the case, is it? Because half the time when the world opens believers, they get a bitter taste. <laughs> or they get an artificial taste. 
or even a tasteless experience where it's like there's nothing, there's no flavor there at all. And why is that? The Holy Spirit isn't any different. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I believe that the reason that that happens is because we have to learn how to be one body. In the same way that I have been made holy by God, but I learn in a very conscious and deliberate way how to walk out that holiness, we have been placed here in one body, but we have to learn in a very conscious and deliberate way how to live in unity, how to walk in unity. And that's where that scripture speaks about genuine love, learning to love one another genuinely, is how we learn to walk in unity. And that is something that you have to learn to do and choose to do for us to be one body. It can't just be me doing it. It has to be all of us pursuing that and learning how to love one another genuinely so that when the world drinks of us, they know that that's the Holy Spirit. So genuine love. There are two different ways that you can approach a community. When you want to become a part of a community, you can either approach the community in fear, anticipating judgment or rejection, and which generally leads to performance and pretense. Or you can approach the community with love, anticipating acceptance and having trust, extending trust, feeling safe. The Bible speaks about fear and love as opposites that perfect love will remove fear. And it says that whoever lives in love lives in God, for God is love. And as we are in this community, if we're not feeling love, then perhaps we're not living in God in this community. Perhaps we're living in our own understanding of church and our own expectations of what church should be and not actually in love. But our, our approaching of community, our wanting to join relationships, should be from a place of love and a position of love because you and I should both be living and dwelling in God who is love. And so we come to this place and we're able to approach these relationships not from fear but from love because I individually have put it on myself to dwell in God. Um, I said at the beginning that a lot of us have been hurt by previous experiences in the church. Here's the truth. Hurt should not end relationship. Love, which is far more powerful than hurt, should sustain relationship. Jesus, when he created you, was hurt by you. You have hurt Jesus. But that did not end his relationship with you. He didn't treat you how you and I often treat the church. He allowed his love which is far more powerful to sustain his relationship with you. And he continued to love you until you were freed by his love from all sin and shame, because that's what love does. It brings freedom. And so you and I, when we have been hurt by relationship, if we end relationship there, then we're not doing what Jesus did. We're measuring relationship by how we, what we get out of it. But Jesus, what we are meant to do is that, like Jesus, when we are hurt in a relationship, we allow our love, far more powerful than hurt, to continue to sustain those relationships until that love will produce freedom in that place. And so we need to come in to this, these relationships clothed in love, choosing to love in the presence of hurt, 
I can almost guarantee you that if you have not, if you're one of those people that I'm um, saying you've been hurt by the church and you're like, that's not me, it's probably gonna happen. Not to be a downer. But all of the other people around you, as beautiful as they are, are broken. That's why we're here. Because <laughs> we need help. And our help and our ability to be in relationship should not be dependent on how perfect we are or how we're not going to hurt each other. It's, it's not how God does relationship. Hurt doesn't end relationship for Him. This week I was reading um, about Saul and I noticed how Saul isolated himself in his relationships to the point that in 1 Samuel 28 it describes Saul needing help and he goes to speak to the spirit of Samuel who has died because he was so isolated the only person he could talk to was already dead. Wow. That's how isolated Saul had become. He could not approach relationships with love but it seemed like as I read through his story consistently there was fear in his relationships. Saul approached his relationships with a lot of self-doubt. From the very beginning, he didn't think he was good enough to be king, and he hid when they tried to anoint him as king. It seemed like he thought he was going to fail. He thought he wasn't good enough. And then when he was king, there was a lot of control in how he did things, and a lot of performance that not only he measured things by how he had done. You know, Saul, he was all upset about that song. David killed, Saul killed his thousands, David his ten thousand. He even there's the story where the Israelite army was not allowed to eat until they had killed the Philistines because he was trying to control and, and like force this loyalty. And his son Jonathan decided to eat because he was really hungry. And Dave, uh, Saul wanted to knowingly kill his own son because of the fact he was trying to force and control some form of loyalty. There's a consistent self-reliance in his relationships. He wouldn't wait for Samuel to do the offering, but he slaughtered the bulls himself. And in the Old Testament, only certain people could do those offerings. And Saul didn't want to wait for him. He was self-reliant. He didn't allow room for other people to do what they did. If he was tired of waiting, he just went and did it anyway. He continued to isolate himself every time he felt threatened by David. And he tried to kill David. And it seems like the pattern of Saul's relationships is very much this, there was this fear of not being good enough and being rejected, and so he isolated himself from it and tried to control his relationships. In contrast to that, David had a very different way of approaching relationships. He had this genuine care in everything that he did, that even when he was a shepherd tending sheep, he went beyond what was sort of the norm of shepherds and caring for and taking care of his sheep. He had very honest relationships and he allowed people to speak into his life. When Nathan came to rebuke David because he had taken Bathsheba as his wife and killed her husband, which is something worthy of a rebuke, I would say, and Nathan came to rebuke him and David responded. He repented before God and he took the consequences of that sin. He allowed people to be honest with him and speak honestly into his life and his mistakes. He was known for his loyalty and people expressed loyalty to him till the end of his life really. But it was because he first showed loyalty. Twice when Saul was trying to kill him, he had opportunity to take Saul's life and he didn't do it. He showed loyalty even there. He created safe spaces around him. The scripture in 1 Samuel 22 says that the people who were in distress gathered to David and he ruled over them, about 400 of them. Because David approached relationships 
with love and without an expectation of rejection. It wasn't fear in how he approached them, and so the same was reciprocated to him. And when it comes to being a part of the body of Christ, how we're able to approach relationships without a fear of rejection is because you have been put here by Jesus. Jesus has said, you are good enough to be my son and my daughter, and so I am going to add you to my family. And because God has adopted us and put us in this body, I'm not coming here hoping that I'm good enough in the other people's eyes, because Jesus has already accepted me and chosen me to be part of his family. And this Galatians 3 speaks about how because of, of what Jesus has done for us, that the things that divide us are different between us, though they should never be nullified, 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 nullified. We should never allow difference to separate us, but because of the commonality of the sonship we have in Jesus, our difference can actually be celebrated. It's hard for communities to exist in a place where diversity is not a threat. Usually difference feels like a threat to us. But the thing about our community is that we're not here because of what we have in common as much as we are here because Jesus has chosen us to be here and he has put us here. And so what I do when I approach this community is that I wrap myself in Jesus' love. And I come in here already covered by his love so that my relationships with other people are not so much about their love or their acceptance or their opinion, but about the love and the acceptance of Jesus Christ, the fact that he chose me to be his son and daughter. And so I approach these relationships already from a position of love. And so if you're struggling to, break, to get into relationship in the body of Christ, then it's worth asking if you've applied the gospel to that area of your life. If Jesus is empowering you by his grace to be in these relationships, or if you are still trying to save yourself and do these relationships in your own strength. We're here and we're able to exist in unity, not because we're good at it, but because of Jesus' salvation and grace and his love that covers and empowers me. My last point is to be fervent in spirit. The Romans 12 scripture that we're looking at, you know, it says to love one another genuinely, to outdo one another in showing honor, to brotherly affection. And then it says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. And I think that the temptation is very high when you are in community and good relationships. Maybe you're here and you do feel like you've got life-giving, healthy relationships speaking into your life. It's very easy in that space to forget that we are sent to make disciples and add to God's community through making disciples. That's how we become slothful in zeal. Our passion for God's kingdom and his mission wanes if, we're, if we become satisfied and content in sitting just in the relationships that speak into my life. This is what what we're purposed to do. This is your ultimate purpose, to glorify God and show others how to glorify God. That is it. And you will miss some of your purpose if you're not doing this. From personal experience, when you become um, just satisfied in your own, you know, I'm happy and all these people I love are around me, and you forget to make disciples, you hit a ceiling in your spiritual growth. I've done it several times. Because this, this is how we 
push ourselves to rely on Jesus. A lot of the time, our relationships, we learn how to do those well and we start becoming self-reliant, just like Saul. But there is no way that you and I can save another person. And being in that place of making disciples pushes you to continue to rely on Jesus and what, like Roger said, keeping Him at the center. So maybe you're here in amazing relationships. My question to you is, are you still fervent in spirit? Or have you become slothful in your zeal? Is your passion for establishing God's kingdom still the same? You have only your lifetime to be used by God to tell other people about Him. You have a limited opportunity to make disciples. It is, it is only while you're alive that you can be used by God to add to His community. That He wants to see all of creation, knowing Him and being freed by His love, but He's chosen that you and I determine how many people will know about that. And so don't miss what you're ultimately purposed for by things that are going to fade. Being part of the body is meant to also spur on and encourage you to add to the body. And God wants to use you to do that. <laughs> The, as I begin to close, the three friends that I spoke about at the beginning, I met those three women in, by being in the same connect group as them. I'm not still in the same connect group as them. Seasons change, things change, I'm still in connect group, but I've had the privilege of having many other people walk with me and, and get to know me, but all of these people I've met and encountered through connect group, which if you're new to the church, is the, the name that we use for the small groups that we have in the church. And it's very difficult to have very meaningful relationships with a thousand people. It's really hard. Even Jesus didn't do it. He had his 12 disciples, and of those 12, he also had three that were particularly close to him, which is why we do connect group. It's not because it's an easy way to categorize and sort out Christians. It's because <laughs> Jesus... Jesus' ministry methodology was that, that he did things in small groups. And so that's why we have connect groups in this church. And today, it would be um, a disservice to myself if my last Sunday, well, it's not my last Sunday, my last sermon didn't include an opportunity for you to join a connect group. But before we get to that, I actually want to stop and pray right now for anybody that is needing a grace renewed to be in relationship with people in the church. If you are feeling hurt by the church, before we move on to the next part of the service, I want to pray for you. So let's bow our heads in prayer. If that's you, you know where you are, you can just extend your hands to Jesus. Cry out to Him. Lord God, you are our healer. You place us in family with the full knowledge that you will also empower us to sustain these relationships through your love. It is not by our power or our might, but by your spirit that we are able to walk in a united body. And Lord, for the sake of your glory, we want to be in a united body. We want to be a people that glorify you in every way that know you, but that live in the relationships that you've intended us to. And so we bring our hearts before you right now, Lord God, in full surrender to you, Jesus. 
Where there is hurt in our hearts, Lord. We're not going to cover it anymore with the flimsy shield of bitterness. We bring that before you, Lord God. We open up that part of our heart to you, Jesus. Have your way with us this morning. I pray for your healing to flow right now over every person. That inner vows that have been made about the church, difficult experiences that are still painful, that your healing and your grace will flow right now, Jesus. We choose to let go of measuring the church by those experiences, Lord God. We choose to forgive your people, Lord. We forgive, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that as we make that declaration, that your grace would fill us right now, Jesus, and that our hope would arise, Lord God, in being one with this body this imperfect, going-to-make-mistakes body that will glorify you. Thank you for what you're doing, Holy Spirit. We will choose to walk by faith and not by sight in this area. And we extend our faith that you are going to add us into this body. I pray that you would connect us to the right people, Lord God. I pray that you would help us to find the right relationships, life-giving, honest, caring relationships. Help us to be people that choose to extend love first, to choose to create safe spaces first before approaching relationships with suspicion and fear. We want to clothe ourselves in your love, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.